0: And something that we haven't done, I think, since uh, we, we started this book proper, is to maybe get a, a grand grasp on the section that we're dealing with at this moment. Sometimes we can get so hung up in the, the branches, we forget what the tree looks like. And So if we could, we're going we're gonna to actually start in verse 3. Now if you're if if you aware, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 is our verse, our memory verse right now. And so I would ask if you wouldn't mind to please read this along with me. And then you can keep going to verse 4 if you want to, if you're extra ambitious or super spiritual today or fe- feeling freshly holy, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, uh, if, if you want to do that, that's great. Um, but I want to read verses 3 through 14 so we can get the big picture of what Paul wants to explain in these opening verses words let me turn on my microphone that might be a bad thing nobody wants to be yelled at everybody knows i do that here we go blessed be the god and father okay i feel like i'm by myself guys come on here here we go again blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places In Christ, just Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him, in love He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, The gospel of your salvation, have also believed you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. Man, maybe if you see that on a grand scale, you understand why we might be going at a snail's pace. There's a lot there that is a collective of here is what God in Christ has done for you. That's a beautiful thing. So I wanted to think of an easy way for us to remember this. So I'm going to ask you a question. How rich are you? Very rich, but there's a biblical answer for that, yes. Our answer is every spiritual blessing. Okay? And then I want to ask you the question... Where are your riches? Oh, you guys got that one, no problem. I love it. Let's try it. How rich are you? Okay. (laughs) I don't think, either you're not sure, or you're worried about getting out on the limb on your own, or you don't know. How rich are you? every one of them okay where they found in christ in christ we have every spiritual blessing every spiritual blessing now here's what we've seen so far we have gone through verses 3 through 14 having read them but we've paid particular attention to verses 3 through 6 we learn in verse 3 about our every spiritual blessing and then we find that these blessings begin to be unfolded for us to have understanding. For those in Christ, they've been chosen to be holy and blameless in their love for one another. But not only that, God has also predestined the end of every person who is in Christ and giving them a special place as sons and daughters. He has placed them specifically. So if you have heard the gospel that Jesus has died for your sins and risen from the grave, You are now put in a brand new location in Christ. In Christ, all the riches of His glory are poured out. But you must be in Christ to receive those riches. Those outside of Christ do not receive these incredible riches. So, the first thing that we see are the already blessings of the Father. The reason why we're calling them already blessings is because you already have them. I already have them, and we already have them fully with nothing left in order to obtain them. Now understand this, it is only by faith in those blessings being ours that we have the opportunity to utilize and experience them. But as far as me needing to have some sort of prayer or secret handshake with God or something like that in order to have access to those blessings, we do not have that. We are already with full access. The vault doors are wide open inviting us to come in because the blood of Christ has paved the way. Jesus has broken them open and we are in him. So that's a beautiful thing. What we're beginning today is verses 7 through 12, the already blessings of the Son. Now, if you went through that, and if you were noticing, or if you've gone through and you've marked on your own, you will notice that there are three things that are brought up in verses 7 through 12. You deal with the idea of redemption, that is an already blessing. You deal with the idea of the administration, the mystery of his will, or the mystery of the fellowship. We're going to deal with that next week, Lord willing. Uh, And you also deal with the idea of every believer has an inheritance. That's a blessing that you have in Christ. And so those are already blessings, those that are already ours in the Son. The last one, verses 13 and 14, deal with the already blessings of the Spirit, which have to do with the sealing of the Spirit, uh, which means that it's a permanent resident situation and is an excellent argument for the eternal security of the believer. But also, this deposit of the Holy Spirit within us is a promise that God will one day redeem that deposit out, which is our gathering up to him to meet him in the air, either through rapture or death, whichever one comes first. Is everybody good on that? And does anybody have any questions before we go forward? Because I would much rather we be in the know than not be in the know. Anybody at all? We good? You guys are so easy, please. No questions, just thumbs up. I love it. Here we go. In verse 7, we start with our location. Now, if you have the ability, if you're looking in your book, or you're able to turn back, I think it is a page, or you got your Bible out and you're looking at that, you will notice that the end of 6, it says, to the praise of the glory of his grace, it's a great doxology of worship, which he freely bestowed. So he, he graced our faces off. That's how I would translate it. He just graced us and graced us and graced us. Okay? Notice, on us in... The beloved. And that's a very unique term because Paul doesn't use that to describe Jesus anywhere else. In fact, outside of the Gospels, it's not really used at all in regards to Jesus. But noticing right from that, remember, there is no punctuation in what we just read, 3 through 14. It's one run-on sentence. Paul was a smart guy, but he probably didn't go to grammar school. I don't know. But notice it moves here. In him, so we have the beloved idea carries into the idea of in Him, which has to do with the idea of your location. Our location is in Christ. I cannot say it enough. If you're reading the notes on the pastor's blog on our website, you're probably so sick of seeing the idea of in Christ, in Him, in the Beloved, over and over and over. But we have to get this. The reason why we have to get this is because when tension is high, when life is stressful, when we're feeling depressed, when we're down, we've got hopelessness that is onset, a myriad of emotions that we might experience at any time. Good grief, it is an amazing comfort to just kind of throw your arms out and just lean back on the sealy bed that is in Christ. That's a wonderful thing. Because in Christ never goes anywhere. And if in Christ never goes anywhere, and I'm in Christ, that means what? I don't go anywhere. I'm always secure in him. That is always, it's an already blessing. It is an always reality. So in him, we, P-I-P, right? Paul is including us, a personal inclusive pronoun. We, us and Paul, have, we're going to talk about this in a second. Here it is. Important word. This is the focus of our day. Redemption. When we talk about redemption, we are talking about blood. Make no mistake. In fact, it's very interesting to see in the previous verse that Paul talks about how these realities are possible through Jesus Christ. But here, he boils it down to get even more specific about the importance of blood. So we deal with the idea of through his... Jesus' blood. There it is, redemption. Now, some things that we need to understand. The word redemption. The word redemption is the Greek word apolytrosis. And it's the idea of a release that takes place, a setting free. It is the act of freeing and liberating from something that confines you. Also, a second explanation would be the act of freeing from an obligation something that you're due to respond to. Here's an important one to take note of, okay? Everybody see that word? Guilt. Note this. There are so many believers that are still carrying guilt over things that Jesus already paid for. There are so many people whose backpack is full of burdensome weights that they have been experiencing for 20, 30 40 50 years and have never come to a understanding given the words to it yes subscribe to the thoughts of it sure but the idea that the blood of jesus in redeeming us is the very act of setting us free bursting bonds and chains of not just the sin debt But it's also the guilt of sin or specific sins. And it's also a complete wiping away of the shame of sin. All of that was heaped upon him on the cross. He took that and he died for it. And when he said it is finished, that means that's the final verdict on it. And yet, how often do we struggle with feelings of guilt and feelings of shame over situations? It usually happens when we lose sight of the blood. We find ourselves in that staring off in space idea, right? And then all of a sudden the enemy comes up and waxes from behind. We think, good grief, what what happened there? Your mind starts getting flooded with all these thoughts of just terrible things that are already in the past. They've been flushed and they're gone. Jesus took care of it. So the idea that redemption doesn't just take care of, well, you owe God this and you could never pay it and therefore the, the, the slate is settled. So much more. Because it actually deals with the very realities that create emotions that are not from God. Unless it is a guilt over present sin that you've committed, it is not from God. If it's over past sins, that's from the enemy. Doesn't God say, I will take your sins and cast them as far as the east, making sure I get it right, right? The east from the west. We know that, don't we? What's he really telling us there? Was he really worried about the compass at that moment? No. What was he worried about? He wants you to understand the magnitude of how much your sin doesn't matter to him anymore. We care about a lot of things that God doesn't care about anymore. We care about a lot of things that Jesus died for and already dealt with, and yet we still play around and still try to deal with them. We don't live in Christ. We are in Christ. That's the reality, and it's unshakable. But there is a concern about the idea of, well, yeah, I'm a believer in Christ. Where are your riches at? I'm in Christ. How many riches do you have? Every spiritual blessing. And you kind of want to... What's the problem? And I have to do that to myself. What's the problem, Jeremy? The problem is, is I am not embracing the fact of what God says about me. I'm letting either a demonic suggestion, I'm letting the opinion of another person, I'm letting the influence of a social media site, I'm letting a radio personality, I'm letting other things have bearing on me. And at the moment... I'm considering that their words carry more weight than the promises of God. Hopefully that paints it in terms where we understand the absurdity of the situation. Who really has the influence on how we live and think and make choices? Is it the Lord Jesus? Notice, it's freeing from an obligation, guilt, or punishment. It's pardon. It is a cancellation. And it's probably best understood in Romans chapter 3. If you would, take your Bible, turn with me there, please. Romans 3. I'm going to start verse 21. Real quick, I just want to say I'm really thankful that the elders called an earlier worship service, so I had an extra hour to preach. That's really great. Thanks, guys. I'm watching the clock, just kidding. Look at chapter 3, verse 21. This is what has just begun what would be known as the justification section of Romans. To be justified means that because you have responded in faith when you've heard the gospel and now that you're in Christ, God, in the halls of all eternity, past, present, and future, has judicially declared you with the banging of a righteous gavel as absolutely spotless in his sight. He does not see you apart from Christ. He can only see you in Christ. And if he sees you in Christ, then he is declaring you righteous. Now understand this. That doesn't mean that you are righteous and you don't ever do anything wrong again. That is the more Catholic mindset of how they view things. But that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God in Christ gives a a declaration of righteousness because now we're part and parcel of him never to be separated again. So with that in mind, look at verse 21. But now, apart from the law, now remember, the law was about works, okay? The righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. In other words, the Old Testament spoke that the righteousness of God was going to come about in a way apart from the Ten Commandments, the 613 commandments of the Old Testament. Verse 22. Even the righteousness of God through faith in who? Jesus Christ. Now notice this. Jesus Christ, and I don't mean to say this is sounding demeaning in any way. Jesus Christ is the object of our faith. In other words, when we exercise faith, when we believe, when we are responding in faith, we are putting our trust in Him as the person of trust. The faith is the channel by which His righteousness is now brought into our stead. Does that make sense to everybody? So in other words, apart from the law, apart from performing any works or keeping any sort of mandated things that God would say in the Old Testament for Israel, God has actually made the ability of righteousness to be available to you and me. And remember from last week, Jesus Christ, because he is God, has the same righteousness as God in this situation. So when we believe and his righteousness is now imparted to us, we now have God's righteousness. Isn't that cool? Okay, I seem to be the only person excited about it. Okay, I think it's great. So notice, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. There's the condition. Have you responded to the gospel? Have you heard that you're a sinner worthy of the lake of fire? That you have no way to save yourself whatsoever? You cannot be good enough. You cannot think good enough. And you cannot perform good enough works. You can't say enough good enough things i say that right maybe the idea is is that someone else needed to die for you and to take your place and that's exactly what jesus did and in doing so being sinless he takes all your debt upon himself and he makes the final payment imagine getting that slip of paper in the mail mortgage paid in full you say hallelujah talk about revival out at your mailbox right this is so much more than that so much more now the righteousness of god is imparted to us but it only comes one way and one way only only by jesus christ and only through faith in him that's it so notice it says here verse 23 for all have sinned everyone and fall short of the glory of god that's the problem Being justified, declared righteous, as a gift. Some of your translations will say, being declared righteous or justified freely by his grace. Some of your translations might say that. I think that's the New King James. Notice, as a gift, by his grace, the unmerited favor of God, through the, what's the word? Redemption. The setting free. The price that was paid that only Jesus could pay. The redemption which is, here it is, in Christ Jesus. You cannot have the full extent of the redemption if you are not in Christ. Jesus Christ has died for sins, yes. You cannot experience that redemption unless you respond in faith. It is only by faith that you are now placed in Christ and the blessings flow. Notice this, verse 25 whom God displayed publicly as a good. Know this word. We're going to deal with it here in a second. In relation to redemption, we deal with the idea of propitiation. We need to know this word. The propitiation in his blood through, there it is again, faith. Does everybody see the repetitious nature that Paul's getting at? You know why he did that? because he knew somebody's going to mess it up he knew somebody was like have you been a good person this week well have you helped people jay we know <laughs> you know well if you come to jesus are you willing to give up this this and this i remember asking a guy one time we were trying out guitar players for a band and we said man we, w- we want you to play in our band you're awesome so we gave him the gospel he believed in Christ. He got saved. He said, "Man, this is great. I can't help but to notice that you have one of the largest stacks of pornography I have ever seen in my life in your bedroom. Are you willing to give all that up?" Was that necessary for him to go to heaven? No. Cuz that would be about him making it an exchange. "Thanks for the blood, Jesus. Here's what I'll do for you." Should he give it up? Yes. Understand this. That's the Holy Spirit and the word of God's business, not mine. My business is to encourage him and love him as a brother in Christ to the truth. My job is not to come in with a sledgehammer. Especially as a brand new baby believer. He's still sucking his thumb. He doesn't know about those things yet. He doesn't grasp that. So let's not confuse the gospel. Paul goes to great lengths here to not confuse the nature of the gospel. Jesus did all the work. We were the ones in need. To have the righteousness of God to be accepted by him from jesus we need to believe and therefore it is then given to us as a free gift that's the beauty of it now let's make sure we go back to our passage because we've got this idea of have everybody see this have in our bibles let's be honest the word have we would just go right past it right we would just read on and just okay whatever this is where it really pays to have good commentaries to consult on this okay and if you have an opportunity to go to the pastor's blog and check it out, I've spent a lot of time explaining just this word have. I think I got about one and a half pages on this word. And here's the reason why this is important. The significance of the word have. It is the, it is the only main verb in the present tense in the whole sentence. It has the sense of continue having. You say, why, I, why is that important? Why are you making a big deal? Because it's not, I'm redeemed, yay, and it's past tense and it's done. And like you've moved on. No, it's the idea of we continue having redemption, the forgiveness of our sins by his blood. It is a continual, ongoing, persisting idea. Look at this from Woos. Word studies, I don't know if it's saying it right, but it sounds like Worcestershire sauce. and no, I think that's great. I'm not probably not even saying that right. It's okay. The verb in, in, is present intense tense and durative in action. Thus, in whom we are having redemption. Coffee maker already exploded, okay? We don't need this. In whom we are having redemption. The redemption is an abiding fact from the past, through the present and into the future. The fact of redemption is always a present reality with the believing reader of the passage, whether he reads it today or 10 years from now. Let me give you an example. If the idea is to be liberated or taken care of, and then we spend time going through something like 1 John 1, 9, yes? Think through it real quick with me, okay? We should know this by now. If we confess our sins, it's what we do, okay? I have sin, do I need to confess it? Do I have sin right now that I'm dealing with, holding on to, haven't dealt with with the Lord, and if I need to confess it, okay? That's my responsibility. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what that means? The nook and cranny sins that you couldn't get out there. The ones that are in the shadows that you weren't thinking of. The one that's hidden back in the closet that you haven't looked at in years. Guess what? When you confess known sins, unknown sins are cleansed. How in the world could that be possible if Jesus died at one place at one time and you believed in him at one place at one time and it'd be done? Because it is durative in action. The redemption keeps on. Jesus, or Let's say it this way. Jesus' blood is always working for you if you want to work with it. Does that make sense? If you want to take advantage of the beauty of the blood, the blood is there to give you the advantage. The only thing that is keeping it from having cleansing effect in our life is our refusal to confess. Our refusal to take up a prayer like David's and say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. See if there's any unclean way in me. Good grief, that's a scary prayer. Right? Start pulling cobwebs out. What in the world was this stuff? God wants to deal with us on that. God wants to bring us to our knees on that. God wants us to have to lay our heads down in humility and say, I don't even know what I was thinking. Lord, your will be done. I don't even know what I was thinking there. It is the durative in action. It is present in its tense. It matters. So let me give you an idea here, just real quick. When we talk about three tenses of spiritual salvation, I know some of us have been through this, but it's been a while since we hit it, so I want to touch on it real quick. We're dealing with the idea that we have been saved from the penalty of sin. Declared righteous, eternal death is no longer a reality for the believer the moment you come to faith in Christ. It is instantaneous. So any fear of I might lose my salvation, I might be going to the lake of fire because I committed this sin as a believer, it's not there. It doesn't exist. It's impossible. God would have to undo everything he did in Christ to declare you righteous in order for that to be a reality. It's not a reality, okay? Okay. But not only that, we also talk about getting saved in the area of sanctification. When we have read God's word and we are now sensitive to the Holy Spirit because we're all fessed up, as Pastor Steve likes to say, we're all fessed up on our sin, we're much more receptive to The idea of the Holy Spirit leading us, convicting us in situations, how we need to help or not help in situations, what we need to be involved in and not be involved in, how we need to use our time, how we need to steward our finances, whatever in the world it might possibly be. Letting the Holy Spirit have his say. When that takes place and we begin making decisions according to God's word, we are being saved from the power of sin because our flesh wants to do everything that the Spirit does not. Remember, the Spirit lives inside of us, yes? The spirit wars against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit so that you cannot do the things that you want to do. That's Galatians 5. And so what do we find? I have to make a decision as a believer in Christ. Do I believe what God's word has told me about this area of my life? And if so, am I going to obey it? If I obey it, I am being saved from the power of sin because the sin nature within me wants to permit all kinds of unrighteousness to flow out of me. This is why in Romans chapter six Paul says, "Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies to obey its lusts. You're not under the law; you're under grace. Live under grace. Be set free from that stuff." But we also talk about the idea of glorification, being saved from the presence of sin. Isn't that going to be great? I'm with the Lord. I see Him face to face. He's giving me some fancy clothes to put on. We're hanging out in heaven. And the idea or the thought of any sin being present whatsoever is non-existent. It doesn't even show up. You're going to be able to turn on the TV and watch it. You're going to be able to turn on the radio and listen to it. I don't think Walmart's going to be in heaven. But... When you go through the checkout line at Aldi, <laughs> know where my loyalties lie, you're going to be able to look at that magazine and rejoice. There is no sin in the presence with the Lord forever when we're with Him. Here's what He's telling us by using the simple word have in the present tense. Redemption stretches through all of this. The cleansing work of the Lamb is a continual work of the lamb was it necessary to pay for sin and get us in absolutely and for that we rejoice we say thank you jesus for that but guess what the blood still wants to work we need to employ the blood don't ever apologize for the blood christianity is a bloody religion darn tootin it is don't apologize for let me ask you this how could we stand before the holy father without the blood How could we bring any sort of reply to him when he says, this is wrong, without the blood? What defense do we have? None. We have no cleansing. Now, I know none of you ladies do this, but sometimes some of us guys, we just forget to shower sometimes. Okay? I don't, I'm sorry. I don't mean to bring up a sensitive subject, but here it is. Sometimes we just don't bathe. How long have you been wearing those clothes? I don't know. Right? That's usually how it goes. You know? Well, I, I made that on Wednesday. It's Friday and it's still on your shirt. Whatever. You know? Anyway. <laughs> I look over at my wife make sure I'm okay. But what kind of relationship does that foster? Not a good one, barely a tolerable one, yes? Now think about that on the scope of eternity with the Lord. The blood is the continual offering of the Christian to come take a bath. It is the washing of the entire self like the Levitical priest had to do when they took up office in the first place and put on the robes for the first time. They took a complete bath of themselves. But then after that, they would only wash the hands in the basin and deal with that why because the first time speaks of our entrance into christ and the regeneration that takes place with the spirit the complete cleansing of ourselves but as we go throughout our day and we need to bring this idea of confession we have need to cleanse the parts of ourselves. that's what the confession of the sin is what makes that effective in the halls of heaven it's only the blood of christ that does it it's only the blood so here are the idea of redemption let's think along these lines maybe this will help i worked really hard on this powerpoint enjoy it here we go We've got to think of redemption in two separate ways that lends itself. The first one we've seen is the idea of propitiation. Huge $5 word. You'll definitely win at Scrabble with it. Propitiation. Turn away is the idea. Or it also has the idea of satisfying. To be satisfactory in some way. And this is dealing with the idea of God's attitude toward sin that we've committed. Our sin issue. The death of Christ satisfies the wrath of God towards our multiple offenses against him. God hates sin, but he loves you. That's the dilemma. And he understands that the solution is not found in ourselves. He also understands that there's a requirement of blood in order for sin to be dealt with properly. And so this is where the offended gives of themselves to make the relationship possible. Jesus Christ is the propitiation. He is the one who turns away and satisfies the wrath of God against sin, which means that sin is no longer an issue. In fact, if you want something that will really boggle your brain, 1 John 2.2, 2. He is the propitiation, the means of turning away and the satisfaction for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. Do you recognize that, judicially speaking, God holds no sin against the world, believer or unbeliever? That's a profound thought. That's exactly what 1 John 2 2 says. In fact, when you look at the great white throne judgment, you find out that the issue is not sin that those who don't have the Lord are having to deal with. It's the fact that all they have to deal with is their works in this life because they don't have any eternal life. They don't have God's life in them. But you never see the issue of sins brought up. Why is that? Because Jesus already paid for them all. The only thing that was keeping them from experiencing the riches in Christ was their unbelief. That's it. And that's the only thing. That's a sobering proposition. I hope that encourages you for evangelism. We're having an evangelism class. Did I tell you guys about that? 25th, sign up. The sheet's already full. Turn it over. Write down. I love it. It's great. This should strengthen our evangelism. Jesus has already dealt with the issue of sins for these people. The only thing that's keeping them is from unbelief, appropriating that by faith. The channel of faith needs to be present so that the object of righteousness can be imparted to them. That's what Jesus did for them. Man, fantastic. Not only that, arrow number two. Man, you talk about taking, I don't even, is that lined up well? Is that lined up perfectly? It's not. It is in your eyes. Everybody do this, you're fine, okay? This is a good word. Expiation. Expiation. Good word. Know it start using it. They're good solid words that we need to become familiar with and start using often. It means covering or even could mean removal, expiation. Our sins, guilt and shame are gone. They're gone. They're not they don't exist anymore. Well, what about no? Nope. Well, how about no? Well, it could be? nuh-uh. Nada, zero, zilch. It's not Guilt, shame, sins, gone. We've not only been covered by the blood, we've been cleansed by the blood. It doesn't just have an overflowing, drowning out effect. Water level rises out here when you cross the bridge, right? And you see the little sand barges that are out there? They go under. Water levels up. Doesn't take long for it to not rain or not have snow. They begin coming down. You start to see those pieces of land come up. Guess what? In the blood of Christ, the land never comes to the surface. It's not there. It got covered completely and washed away totally. It doesn't exist anymore. All God sees is the blood. The blood. So not only is God satisfied in relation to our sin situation, but there's also been this idea of a complete setting free and no longer an obligation of anything. Redemption is taking care of that. Moving forward here. Let me see where we're going here. This word right here, blood. Let's talk about this real quick. I just want to walk you through it real quick, okay? The value of the blood. You don't have to look these up, but I would like you to write them down. In Genesis 4.10, we find something incredibly interesting about the blood. This is a situation with Cain and Abel. The first instance of blood that we have implied is in chapter 3. Adam and Eve sin, and God actually slays two animals and skins them in their sight. In order to cover them to deal with their sin issue. Does everybody see how the mode of propitiation is already in God's mind in dealing with sin? Two animals had to die for the sins of two people, and then a covering was placed upon them. Everybody see that? Okay. Then you move into the Cain and Abel situation, and the idea of blood is actually brought forward. And when God intervenes in this situation, He comes and He said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me, crying to me from the ground. Now we might say, well, that's just figurative language that Cain killed Abel. That's it. I don't think so. I think it's the idea that blood gives a testimony. I think it's the idea that the blood of a person has something to say. How do I know that? Because any time that somebody would bring in the instruments and articles of worship into the tabernacle or the temple, and there was a sacrifice that was made there on the table, they had to take some of that blood and the priest would sprinkle those issues. Why? Because the sprinkling of blood actually brought cleansing to those instruments and sanctified them, set them apart. In other words, those instruments gained a different testimony before God because the blood was put upon them. Not only that... But look at this, Genesis 9, 3, and 4. Noah comes off the ark. Woo, that was a big ride, okay? And now that he's off there, the first thing that he wants to do is sacrifice and worship to the Lord. And look what it says here. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. See, before that, they were all vegetarians. They were all herbivores, right? You've never been so thankful for pork barbecue in your life right now. I'm serious. I read that and I'm just like, I just don't know how it worked now every anything that moves you can now eat wow okay that's cool and as i gave the green plants i give you everything but you shall not eat the flesh with its life and look at this that is its blood what does that mean not only does the blood have a testimony of its own but the blood is the life of a person the blood is sacred to god when you deal with the blood you're dealing with life itself everybody understand why this requirement of life of the shedding of blood is important because of our sins do you realize that only one of your sins requires one life think about the magnitude of sin throughout a week think about why we need the constant cleansing and washing of the blood this is why we need to be coming in confession you don't sins will pile up quick we ended up messing up that familial relationship with God when we've been judicially accepted with Him. That's experiencing no fellowship with Him. Sometimes we wonder why we walk around clueless in life. How about I get along with God, let's confess some sin, and let's let the blood do the work that it's promised to do. The blood is the life. Look at this also, dealing in Leviticus chapter 10. i I'm Sorry, verse 7, 10 through 11. If anyone of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them eats any blood... Makes you wonder about your stakes, right? I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. No blessing. Abusing the blood leads to no blessing for Israel. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. I've laid out the death of this animal to get the barrier of sin out of the way so that you can hang out with God. The life, the blood is necessary for causal conjunction. It is the blood that makes atonement by the life. The blood is significant. The blood is valuable. The blood is the most precious. If anything should be guarded in Fort Knox, it should be the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the most important thing that has ever been ever on earth. There has been no greater element at any time. It is only the blood of Jesus that sets a person free. We would have no salvation apart from the blood. Now, I like this so much I used it again. Here we go. Redemption. When we deal with the idea of propitiation, turns away and satisfies, take your Bibles and turn to Leviticus 16. Oh, that's right. I said Leviticus. Here we go. Leviticus 16. Study Leviticus 16. Jesus Christ is overflowing in Leviticus 16 because in Leviticus 16 we're dealing with the Day of Atonement only happened once a year. The high priest had to have a special washing and special garb in order to go in and take the blood of a spotless lamb and to bring into the presence of God. But that's not all that took place in that moment. The idea of perpetuation, turning away, or satisfying. Let's look at uh, verse 8. This is a good one. Verse 8, 9, and 10, we're going to read them. Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats... One lot for the Lord, for Yahweh, and the other lot for the scapegoat. Then Aaron shall offer the goat on which the lot for the Lord fell. And for Yahweh, it's a sin offering, which means it has to die. So the shedding of blood in this situation deals with the idea of a sin offering for Yahweh. Because blood is necessary in order to cleanse from sin. But it doesn't stop there. Look at also verse 10. Because then we deal with the expiation. Verse 10. But the goat on which the lot for the scapegoat fell shall be presented how? Alive. We don't kill this one. We present them alive before Yahweh. Why? To make atonement upon it to send it into the wilderness as the scapegoat. Now pause for just a second. And you may have noticed how weird that might sound. Notice that the idea of propitiation is the bringing forth of the blood to turn away and to satisfy the wrath of God against sin. But when you step into the situation of expiation, you take the second goat and you leave it alive and a living goat is going to make atonement. Now doesn't atonement deal with sin and taking care of that problem? How does a living goat take care of sin? Nobody tells this better than Tony Evans, so I'm not even going to try. But I'm going to give you my best understanding of it. Not only is the idea of they sacrifice the first goat on the altar, the, the high priest comes in, he dips a hyssop branch in there, sprinkling the blood on the ark. Only, only, he can only go back there one time out of the year to atone for the sins of Israel on the middle of the lid of the ark. The sins have been atoned for. But then... They would take their hands, imagine a goat's up here, put their hands on this goat, they would pray, confessing all their sins upon the head of this goat. And then they would send it out into the wilderness. And a lot of times they had to get somebody who was designated, put a rope around this goat's neck, and walk with it out in the wilderness. Because you would find out that after time, the goat kind of liked where he was and he would wander back in the camp. That's got to be an odd feeling, especially when the picture trying to be drawn here is your sins are being removed from the camp. So what they would do is usually take a guy out, and from what I understand, it might even come to some situations where the guy would get the goat out to a cliff and just go and push the goat off the cliff. (laughs) Right? Think of it. But what's the message being conveyed? Not only is blood sacrificed to atone for sin, but God wants to make sure that we understand in very clear, historical, even slightly ritualistic type of picture. When your sin is dealt with, it is gone. It is gone. If you've been someone who's been struggling with sin forever, look at the goats. One has paid for my sin, the other one has removed my sin. I've not only been propitiated, I've been expiated. It all falls under the grand roof of redemption. I've been set free. I've been taken care of. Those sins that worry us so, lay them down. God doesn't have them. Why do we carry them? Why do we carry them in our pockets so often? Now notice this. In Him... We have redemption through His blood. What is that? It's the forgiveness of our trespasses. Interesting word, of course. Forgiveness is the idea of remission. But what's interesting about this is that some scholars have actually agreed that forgiveness is probably not the best way to describe this word because it carries the idea of the scapegoat with it. It's a removal of our trespasses. What are our trespasses? Definition for trespass. doesn't use sins, but it's the idea of the false steps that we take. We were walking along craggy ground, and next thing you know, our ankle twisted a certain way because we stepped on a spot wrong. Did you mean to do that? No. Did it happen? Yes. Was it a wrong step? Absolutely. So where sin might be more considered of blatant multiple acts against God, that we would commit a trespass has the idea of simply i stepped in the wrong place i lost my footing along the way i got it caught in the ditch whatever you might want to say on that Trespass sends it into a falling to one side one person has said in the midst of your ongoing throughout the day now here's what i love i love this word according to remember this from what we saw before it is a measurement good grief it is a measurement It's a measurement of the riches of His grace. And when we deal with the idea of riches, we are dealing with the pinnacle, the top. The unmerited favor of God elevated to the greatest lengths and bounds that it could have ever possibly been. So if you're sorting through the great cooking grand scale of tools that you have, seeking for something in order to divinely measure the grace of God, only he can measure it because he measures it by the pinnacle of the free gift he's given to us. Does that make sense? It is his unmerited favor towards us, skyrocketing leaps and bounds that we can't even grab a hold of. And notice this, man, what a good word, which he lavished. Ooh, look at that. That's terrible. All right, let's get rid of that. He lavished on us. He overflowed it on us. I picture it like this. I picture that I'm standing before these massive six or seven story warehouse doors of this massive building. Never been in it before. And it's almost like God bursts open the doors and I just get flooded out with his mercy. I just get poured over with his grace because everything that he's been telling me so far, we're only seven verses in. Here's how much I love you. 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 you. Do you see how much God loves us? The place He wants to put us? The life He wants to give us? The only effectual thing that will allow for our fellowship with Him to go unstained and repaired at any given moment and He gives the blood to wash and cleanse and remove and cover, and if anything, bless. If you want to write anything there, some of your translations might have this. He is abundant toward. Why did I just lose my mind on writing toward? There we go. Forgive me, Kentucky education. Toward us, Paul two. Yes, Paul two. What should we pull away from this? Stop and think, guys. Stop and think for just a second. Forever. Forever. God's not holding a grudge. God doesn't hate you. God does not have ill will in His plan. He's not looking to sabotage you with His blessings. He's not underhanded. He's not dirty. He's not crooked. He's not malicious. He's not waiting around the corner with a billy club as soon as they get out of step. Man, whack! I think that's the reason why trespasses is used particularly. How many times do we misstep? Amy just died one death. That was great. <laughs> I fell down there. She goes. <laughs> How many times does that happened? Oh, I wish I wouldn't have responded that way. I wish I wouldn't have said it like that. Words are like toothpaste. And once they came out of my mouth, I just got to shove them back in there. You ever get so frustrated with yourself, you're not even for sure what to do with you? Good grief. Welcome to my life. But what does it say? We've been forgiven of our missteps. Our fallings to one side. What did that? The blood. The blood. What does that now? The blood. What's going to do that tomorrow? The blood. What's going to do it ten years from now? The blood. How are you going to have any confidence between now and and when you blink your last, that it's all going to be okay. There's only one answer for that, and that is the blood of Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the blood. We thank You for the precious blood. We thank You for its ability to redeem, to set free, but also to turn away also to appease, to satisfy your holy and just wrath towards sin. You're totally, totally in the right for hating sin the way that you do. It has so separated your beloved people from you. And it continues to do so even now when it's allowed to run free and it's not dealt with by the blood. But you just didn't leave it at that. You have also expiated us in the blood of Christ. You knew exactly what you were doing. You have placed all of our sins upon Him. This is why He died outside of the camp on Calvary. Outside of the city. Because He is the Lamb who removed those sins out. He is the one who paid for them completely. He is the one that cleanses and covers completely. Lord, we are such a blessed, blessed people. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. In Christ. In Christ. In Christ his blood father thank you for lavishing such grace and lord may we praise you with voices and hearts that are pure before you appreciative of your blood worshiping you in spirit and truth how beautiful it is we pray all this in his awesome name and because of his expensive blood amen